Welcome to Good Revenue, where we discuss monetization, go-to-market, and revenue growth. I'm your host, Nitha Bidway. We're here to discuss what we can do to influence more effectively, improve profitability, and sustainably grow revenue while delivering more value to customers over time. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Good Revenue. We are here today with Mandy Lozano. Mandy has had this incredible career trajectory from ranching to art to CPG to corporate development, and she has worked at companies ranging from Nestle to Starbucks, PepsiCo, and startups in her spare time. So we're super excited to have her. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here and excited to talk to you about the journey and share insights. I love it. Well, I wanted to jump right in if you're game, because I know that you have many passions. And one of them that I think is particularly interesting that I don't feel like gets enough airtime is the importance of strategic thinking in building a business and driving results. And I feel like part of this preamble that I should add is that I see a lot of companies that are very executionally focused, and yet it seems like it's not clear if they're running in the right direction or not and how one might validate this. And I know this is a topic that's really important to you too. So I would love to know, how has strong strategic thinking shown up in your work? Awesome question. So I try to frame it I, I borrowed this from something I saw on a TED Talk, but I do like the words. So like the how, the why, and the what. I forget what or list them in. But I think that's a good way to frame up how strategic thinking has showed up in my work. So I'll start with the how. So that's obviously pretty easy to describe, right? It's how you do things and how you think. And so I think my Enneagram 3, which is the competitive achiever, but then also my tendency to think, feel, and then act. So like that's, I don't know how familiar are your audiences with the Enneagram. I've found it to be the most valuable in these assessments that I've ever had. But the way in which you, again, do you take in information first or do you act first or do you feel first? Those kinds of things are important in the way that you operate, especially as you get higher up, right? These things come out. So my tendency is to take in information and sort of in parallel, ask a lot of questions and also be mentally developing a model in my head. Oftentimes, my one of my main focuses is if I'm as a leader presented with a challenge, I want to make sure that we've actually defined the problem correctly, because when you don't have that right, then you're going to go down the wrong path almost inevitably. And so I find that strategic thinking helps you with frames so that you can identify the problem, eliminate some extraneous information, and then be able to say clearly, this is what it's defined as. And then how do we think about what our options are to solve. And then I think with that clarity, it often really helps people run pretty rapidly in the right direction. So that's sort of my how of the um, instilling of strategic thinking within what I do. And then the what, again, is sort of a continuation of that, right? So just putting things in play in a very focused way and continually pointing to, are we actually achieving our goals since we've defined our problem quickly uh, or since we've defined our problem clearly? And so it's just... I think that, you know, naturally pretty clear solutions and processes come out of that when you're really, really clear about defining your problem, which then sets things in motion and also helps eliminate what you won't do, right? Because then it identifies what you will. And so that tends to be then as a result, ideally more clear for everybody, less frustrating. And then it also helps with, you know, removing elements of subjectivity from you evaluating your own performance or your boss evaluating your performance, you know, your ability to be very clear in what 
we said we would do and then what we did and here's what happened is a really wonderful tool to have. Um, and then in terms of the why, so the what, the how and the why, the, the way I try to be strategic in my why, which is maybe not something a lot of folks would connect, but for me, I always remind myself why I am here. So sometimes you can be, if you think about it, there's a skill building element to it. There's a purpose element to why we work. And then there's a financial. And sometimes these things are um, very balanced and even, and sometimes they're skewed in different directions. And I feel that when you have clarity about that, it's really helpful to remind yourself, you know, every day, maybe when when things are tough or like things are not so clear that you're like, oh, yes, this is why I'm here. And so here's a great example. So as a passionate environmentalist that I am, you know, raised on a cattle ranch, very tuned into the earth and water, especially because I'm from the West. It's probably shocking to some folks that I've worked for two of the three largest, quote unquote, consumer plastics offenders in the world, right? Those two are Nestle and PepsiCo by some measures. But the reason my why for being there was to be able to understand how the largest machines in that whole thing work, right? And so it gave me some great skills of understanding just how you get things done and also how you can then make change at scale. So my why for that, and then also within that subsets of being part of PepsiCo and Nestle specifically was that I ended up having an amazing like values experience as well, especially PepsiCo. I've said multiple times, like that was the most superior organization I've ever worked in. This is amazing, amazing people. So that was a really wonderful why, right? And then sometimes I've had whys that are all about the mission. And the comp was, you know, <laughs> inevitably it seems to be that they when the mission super high, the comp ends up being lower. And so, but those are, you know, calculated risks I've taken. And uh, again, just always remembering why we are there, why we work. Uh, really helps for me to steer my energy and not be frustrated and just remind myself as regularly as possible. Oh yeah, I'm here for this reason. And so doing this work that can seem arduous at the moment is actually totally worth it because I'm actually getting to where I want to go because of my why. I love that. Are there some examples of building on the framework? Are there some examples of how that strategic thinking has driven business results at any of those companies? I think you know, whether it's the the larger firms or some of the startups that you've worked at. I think back to the problem definition, the ability to arrive at that takes a lot of discipline and a lot of, I guess I'd say backbone, right? Because oftentimes when you're on a senior leadership team, you're hearing things that come up to you from your teams. And, you know, it's wonderful when you have a nice, clear line of communication from them if they're communicating with you. You're hearing things. And and so then plenty, if it feels urgent enough, it's sold the whole like urgent, not important thing. Uh, if it feels urgent enough, it will get addressed, but it goes back to, are you clear about the problem you're trying to solve? So in terms of, um, let's say chasing customers for sales and Maybe the the loudest or most successful salesperson can definitely have a voice saying we need to, you know, devote resources more to, you know, my channel, my segment. And I had this experience and only through a deeper analysis of all of the long tail, and I hate the term low hanging fruit, but that was a good term in that case. Overused for a reason. <laughs> right. All of this awesome opportunity and ways to actually have more scaled and efficient sales prospecting in this longer tail in terms of quantity of customers. But you could actually, within that, create some subsets of, 
here is what subcategories they're in and here's how we would appeal to them and here's the assets we would give to them and the kind of programmings and, and incentives, et cetera. And, and I believe it was because of my ability to say, fully noted, that sounds like a shiny object. Are we actually seeing the bigger picture, which kind of goes back to the things I was saying about about my how, which is try to take in information, ask a lot of clarifying questions and develop a frame. And so what was perhaps lacking there when the problem, quote unquote problem was presented was that the frame was only that salesperson's, you know, domain. But actually we have a whole broader sales team and then all of these interesting channels that go beyond what that initial domain was. So it was my ability to step back and look at it and frame it differently and then, you know, sell that idea to leadership. Like, why don't we pursue this? And here's a pretty disciplined way that we can go about it. It's interesting too. And I think what I'm hearing you say is it, it, it sometimes seems to me that in data rich environments, we often ignore the data and we really go with whether it's the loudest person in the room or it's the CEO who, of course, you know, does own the responsibility for the company ultimately. But there, there is that question about like, are we making the right decision and do we have, are we using the right data. And I know that this is something that you care a lot about too. Would oh, you take so us much. through that? Yeah. Because <laughs> I think this is like a constant, like I hear that even in the story about the the sales you know, colleague or whatever. I mean, that it's super common. Right. And so exactly. So I, I love that you framed this up. Thank you. Because yeah, so in this exact scenario, I was able to quantify here is what the upside is. And then here's, you know, here's what it's going to take. Here's what we need to invest. Like even identifying here's the headcount and here's the capability that you have. Here's how much we'll probably pay them. And then therefore, what's your ROI, if you will? And so if you think about accounts, you think current and then you think prospect future, right? So an increase, you know, in orders of 10% year on year for all of your currents would equal X upside, <laughs> you know, and then for new, like if you get, and then it was just quantity, like let's say you get a hundred new customers, they're generally worth this. And this was for wholesale. And so then it can create a number. And it was through the data where I could just use strong assumptions based on just my ability to analyze data that was existing of our prior sales and make some assumptions about how it would pan out for both current and future customers and certain sub channels. So yeah, I, I, oh my gosh, I, I love data so much and I taught myself everything I know about Excel. I think I'm pretty good, but I'm always dorking out and learning new things about how to, I mean, granted Excel has its limitations in terms of, I think, number of rows <laughs> that you can process, uh, but it, it's just such a fun thing to do and just try to ask the right question so that you can create the right command. This game very tactical. And so mind you, I was sort of guiding this work. It wasn't always me in the trenches, you know, creating charts or whatever, but it was more about here's, I think, what I want to find out. Can you look through this data set? And also being willing to install companies, get in there and do it too. Yeah. Oh, data is, is so much fun to me because also it always needs a human interpretation, I believe, to create insight, which leads to action and opportunity that is captured by action. And so I think sometimes a lot of people think, oh, my gut's fine. But I I would encourage everyone to get a little more comfortable with data. Yeah. And it's it's funny. We had um, we had someone from Can Lions on the show a few months ago, and they had released a report. And there's a quote that I keep coming back to. And it, the finding was data soup, too much, too little, not enough. And I think that is every organization I've ever been at, whether it was a public company or a small one. And yet it feels like, to your point, maybe what we're lacking is the ability to effectively interpret that information. Because it's not that we don't have any data. I mean, that's, that has been not been my experience, at least. 
Do, do you feel that way too? Like that mm-hmm. it's that question of interpretation and analysis. And maybe the related question is, what do you think that CEOs or senior executives can do to maybe bring teams along or to kind of build better knowledge base of like what to do with data? So there has to be faith in the data. So that's one. I think that's kind of a building block. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's fair. Right. And then right. and then across, you know, as we love this term stack, across your tech stack, data's flowing in and out. Do you trust it? Do you feel good about that? And I and I I hate to say it, but I think every CEO needs to have that in their mind. They need to, I mean, it's like it feels so minor and it feels like, oh, that's a, that's for the tech people. It, you know, they kind of like may shove it off into a different function. But I believe CEO probably will want to people are giving you or customers, you know, the market is giving you tons of data points and tons of insight. It's a matter of kind of opening up your mind about where that could be mined. And then try to figure out how you can trust it. And I would argue you can do that by just doing mini tests. But um, I think that I think there's a trusting it. And then also people who then would do something with it have to be comfortable with it. And, and you'd be shocked within organizations how few people end up being comfortable with that. And it's a bummer. So you got to like build their confidence and inspire them to like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have an outcome where we get insight to determine what we do with, you know, channel X or product line Y, wouldn't it be amazing? And so I, I'm sure you have to inspire them along the way as well. And then also get some great examples of what good looks like. I'm sure talking to your peers in the industry will probably be a great way to know what their journeys are to getting better um, usage of data. The classic signal noise problem too, right? I think. And I wonder too, if part of the challenge is that because we set so many goals and KPIs around the immediate and maybe some kind of outcome that we want at a year at most. And this is like a pet force or pet challenge that I keep coming up against, which is like, it feels like the excessive short-termism really gets in the way of many companies. Often, And often people know it, right? Like, yeah. But the metrics really drive you to like, well, this is what I have to do for the quarterly business review or for my own you know, performance review or whatever other, um, whatever goals matter in a daily basis. Are you seeing that too? Absolutely. And I think what, um, I love the way you said it about the short, what did you call it? Short-termism. short-termism is my yeah. is the phrase I've been relying on lately. But I think you're right about the tail wagging the dog. So I have to make my quarterly business report and it has to, it has historically looked like this and therefore yeah. it will do. And then I'll only tell the story in this context. Uh, I wonder if, so there's a balance, right? Of like, well, you probably, you need both. You need both. You need both. They need structure, right? They need structure. Right. They need clear milestones. They really do. People will tell you that they don't, but they really do. We like to have autonomy, but often within bounds or even better, right? So with that, you also want to create lines of communication where people can raise their hand and say, um, this is so dumb that I'm making this report. I truly don't understand what value it gives us. So can we maybe not do that? And so creating a culture where that is welcome and then, but what I would want them to hopefully feel comfortable doing also is proposing a solution that keeps the, you know, strategic intent of the business in mind, right? I think that balance between being willing to alter what we measure and how and why and those kinds of things with also having some structure of cadence, because Again, people really need stability. It comes down to the individual, right? Like, I generally would love to know what I'm supposed to do in my day. And I would generally like to know that my job will be secure, which these days doesn't feel like something we can promise people. But uh, yeah, I think those things actually generally tend to drive folks' perceptions of how much they want to have change happen. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think, I mean, we're obviously all 
averse to change and maybe also to risk. And certainly like when change is foisted on you, that doesn't generally go well. But at the same time, even to grow is to change, right? That's to that's to change the business, to change the trajectory oftentimes. And so it feels like if we're requiring that, should the metrics, should we do more as executives to really drive those metrics that help people reach the goals that we want? Yeah, I think we should definitely be open to being willing to change them as times change. Yeah, as things often out of our control change, right? Giant yeah, yeah, absolutely. dynamics, et cetera. Absolutely. It's really important. Yeah. What do you also think? I mean, this is, um, you know, this is something where I think a lot of boards are focused on this, both in private markets and in public markets, that finding CEOs that are strong in strategy. And again, I think people don't love that word. So maybe there's a different term we can use, but having that ability to um, be accurate directionally and executionally might be another way I would phrase it or, or making the right trade-offs, alluding to something that you said earlier. What do you think that boards should keep in mind when they're looking for a CEO who has strategic thinking or has demonstrated it? It's so much about how they get information from, like how they ask questions, right? I mean, maybe this feels pretty basic to some, but maybe it's not happening across the board. I can see how it maybe isn't. But the whole like, tell me about a time, like the what someone will say to you I would I would be so critical. I would I would examine every word about how it is that they, you know, frame the problem and also identify if, you know, the problem people thought was one thing and then it turned out to be another. Like, what is your role in figuring that out? I, I, I'd want to know that they owned that shift and then what they did in terms of leading, but also in the trenches, because oftentimes, I mean, I don't really have a like a, a threshold, but there's lots of sizes of companies need people who can be both player and coach, right? And and your ability to demonstrate that, I mean, obviously, hopefully if you've done your research, you know what they're looking for. They're looking for just a coach, just a player or a player coach. Usually it's player coach in, in a wide variety of business sizes. And so I would really listen to the words that they use about how they contributed uniquely with their ability to, again, like lead and execute and reframe if needed take others with them, like a lot of these sort of corporate swear words about, but it's all pretty true, right? You got to be able to bring people along on a journey of a different kind of way of working, probably. So I would listen to that super clearly. And then also it'd be really interesting to know, just I think great strategic thinkers are really good at utilizing their teams. And I really want to know how they talk about what their team did versus what they did. I'd want to hear them recognize folks but I want them to be pretty clear. I mean, hopefully when a CEO is interviewing with the board, they have their act together and they have these stories down. But I would want to hear those things. And then also, I'd I'd love to give them a case to think on their feet. And again, kind of get the same stuff out of them. I, I think it would be fascinating to hear how someone thinks on their feet about any sort of business case. Maybe it's one that you're facing as a company or maybe a hypothetical, but you know, I also have a bias toward that, right? Because I went to a case school where we did like 600 or so cases in our careers and I did consulting case prep when I was there. And then, you know, I've been a management consultant more or less for numerous years, especially recently. So to me, their ability to quickly think and frame and recommend and state assumptions and ask more questions, those kinds of things, I think really is an indicator of if they can lead while being, you know, peppered with things that they don't expect, right? Because that's half of what leadership is, is things that you don't expect happen, right? And then how do you manage through that? 
Yeah, and to your point too, I think um, you know the, the so much of success is really in enabling teams and direct reports. Oh, really? At the same time, I finally got around to reading um, the Halo Effect this last year, and I just I keep coming back to that too because I think there are so many examples of we measure the success of leadership and strategy by results only, but there are so many examples where you might have had the right strategy. But, you know, there were other things outside your control or just something that didn't quite go to plan, right? This happens all the time. But we we look back and obviously it's so obvious in hindsight. But one thing that I know you also are very passionate about is what teams can really do and how to help direct reports be more successful and their teams as well, of course, because I think as a senior exec, it's obviously teams of teams. It's not just a few folks. Should you yeah. take us through an example or two of like what that looks like in practical Sure. So I love that you acknowledge too that it's teams and teams of teams. And so your reach, if you will, has to go through a handful of layers. So what are you doing to ensure that? Right. So if you want to, so if you want to shift the way your team is thinking or maybe add more strategic thinking tools to their bevy, then you've got to make sure, A, that you understand where they are. Like, what's their current state in terms of what folks are capable of? Uh, I think that's really important. And so there's a lot of listening and understanding, trying to understand how their brains work. Because you, you've got to start from somewhere. And what I don't want to do is tell people how to think, because that helps nobody, right? Instead, I want to understand how they think and then try to help them perhaps shift their thinking collectively to some things that most people can agree on and understand, which are ways of framing business challenges and ways of working through, you know, programming problems, et cetera. An example I have is when I was at Mirror, my situation complication resolution, oftentimes that was a way that I would press people on their strategic thinking skills of, of how are you framing? What is the situation? Like what's the landscape? What is the complicating factor? And then resolution being what is your recommendation? So often in teams where they're action oriented, often smaller companies, right, more entrepreneurial, where like movement and action is so critical to keep you alive, folks often sort of start with their resolution and it's the thing that's in front of them and we keep going, right? And we all know where that that's not awesome. And that's not necessarily a skill that is going to take you really far. So I say situation complication resolution because that was the thing that made the most sense with the most people on my team and I could get people to rally around framing challenges that way. It was sort of like, this was a common denominator we could find. I could have used much more complicated frameworks, but it felt like through an understanding of how people thought it. And, you know, I had a little bit more index toward creative when I was a CMO, right? So how do those folks, you don't want to have things be too linear, right? Because that creates a lot of a lot of restriction that doesn't get great work. So how did you give people the ability to be creative within a frame? And so I figured out that that was the frame that people generally needed. And then in addition, it was OGSM, right? Objectives, goals, strategies, and metrics. Again, trying to simplify things, it's not because people weren't smart, but it was because the from two of where they were coming from in their varied skill sets and mental models, this was something that folks could understand, get behind, and deploy in you know, let's come up with our program for holiday. What's the situation? What's the complication that we're probably going to face in holiday? And then what's our resolution, right? And so uh, I just try, because forcing too many frames on people, especially, you know, throughout time, it just becomes confusing. And so I'd say less is more, but definitely listening to get a sense of what people can probably utilize and then encouraging them and, and, and really just 
walking the walk on that. It's like if someone doesn't want to come to the table with that kind of point of view, like how do you work with them individually to make sure that they're really speaking that common language? Because I feel like common languages are so important. They can be super annoying in companies, right? Because they create often like really exclusionary language that only you can understand if you're on the team. But I think general common languages for these kinds of things for business challenges are really helpful. I also know you are really passionate about leading with empathy. And I would love to know, what does that look like? Are there some examples of how you have successfully done that so far? The thing that I always try to keep in mind is that my perspective is not someone else's. It is so important to listen to people. Also, when people don't feel heard, and I, I mean, heard is heard comes through in a lot of ways, right? It comes through in actively like, you know, you and me on a call and I'm listening to you or it's my responsiveness to other ways that you're communicating with me or it's them seeing evidence of their suggestions or their work in the org and the business results. If people don't feel heard, oftentimes their energy is still there. But if it's not channeled, you know, toward the things the business probably needs, it can be extremely destructive and they don't mean it to be. But when folks don't feel heard and then they can't put that to rest or channel it in the right way, which I believe is your job as a leader to help guide, it can be so distracting. And then it can create all these shiny objects that popped up, pop up and then just have a lot of people running amok and chasing things out that they don't need to chase down. So I think it's so important to listen. And then also, you know, then try to get them to maybe think more strategically about something if that's not happening. But you have to go at their pace because you're going to move at the rate of change of sort of the slowest adopter in a lot of cases. And you got to be super patient about that. And and I just think like in the end, we're all human beings. Kind of back to my point earlier about what sometimes matters most to people is, do I have a job? Is my paycheck going to make it, you know, in next Friday to my bank account? And do I generally know what I'm supposed to do in any given week? We need stability and structure way more than we think. And I try to remember that. Wise words. Well, the last topic I just wanted to cover before we let you go, how do you go about setting goals with data instead of emotion? And I know this is a really big topic too, because obviously these are themes of accountability and performance. And again, coming kind of full circle back to our conversation about strategy. How do you think about that? Well, it's it's really tough, right? So I think folks also confuse. They don't always know that they're acting or advocating for something that was derived from emotion. And they sometimes might think it's actually data-driven, but if you really dig in, to be fun, there's an emotional component. Sometimes it's around fear. Like, I don't understand this. And so I haven't even looked at this. And so I think our solution is the other thing, right? So there's a there's identifying when it's actually emotion that's perhaps driving why someone is behaving or performing in a certain way, and then therefore what they think their goal should be. So that's important to do. But also I find that when you're using data to set goals, it, it just kind of ends up being, if you can establish that everybody accepts the facts or accepts that, you know, this KPI is this and here's why I really want them to understand it before we even agree to doing it, then I just find it, it kind of in, then can tend to remove some emotion and some fear from the future for them. Like, oh, okay, so, th so this is the KPI, right? Okay, so this, you know, it's the lightning margin, margin. And then ideally it helps make any conversations about 
well, I'm not sure I can deliver this, or maybe I don't have the capabilities, or we don't have the tools as a team in terms of, you know, tech or process or just broader team. It helps make the discussion much more about the goal versus like, are you able to, like, are you good enough to do this? Because then, and then it will probably elicit an emotional response. So, in, in which can be really distracting. However, I would argue that too, you need to have emotion because you need to care. <laughs> and so I think hopefully, you know, as a leader, it's, and it's so in, unique to each individual that you manage or that is that they manage of what are things that motivate folks. But I think having a sense of what's motivating them, but also being pretty clear and getting them on board with this is the goal and it is quite quantitative most of the time, really making sure they agree and are on board. I think it helps to limit future fears of things in the future. That's my experience anyway. But man, understanding what motivates them and what they're afraid of, because folks aren't going to come out and say, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. You can only get there by just observing and asking. Really goes hand in hand, I think, with what you were saying about empathy too, right? Mm-hmm. Really being yeah. able to be there in their shoes. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, maybe folks sometimes don't like those answers, but I mean, for me, that's kind of how I'm wired anyway. I It just kind of works for me. And I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of leaders who like to command and control and and dictate this needs to be done. And maybe there are times once in a while, maybe in turnaround situations where that's needed. But maybe I, I haven't actually had to be in many turnaround situations. So I that isn't something I've really depended on. For me, it's much more about connection that you have with someone and that person feeling valued and set up to succeed and knowing that you are there as a leader. You're there to remove obstacles, not to do their work or even like necessarily tell them what to do, right? You would hope that you have given your folks the confidence and the tools to say, I'm confirming this is what I need to do, or this is what we need to do, and here's three options, please select one. So those kinds of things. You would hope that you're creating open lines of communication so that people understand you're there to remove obstacles and sometimes like break ties, you know, tiebreaker jump balls, but generally like not do their work for them. I should hope. Once in a while you have to. I've had to do that. Most jobs I've had, I've had to come in and Sometimes do the work of someone who reports to me because I realize like, oh, the capability is not really there, the motivation or the clarity. And so let's step back and figure this out. We, in the meantime, I'll try to help you get stuff done. Well, before we go, is there um, anything that you give us in terms of insights? What do you think that high performance companies do better than the run of the mill companies since you've worked at so many successful ones? I they never forget who their customer is and what their customer needs. And they're they're always willing to hear, to, to truly listen to what people are. Because people will say to them directly, like, you are not meeting my needs. Or they will say by not choosing. <laughs> so often their lack of action will give you some indicator. And if you forget who your customer is, my goodness. And then also if you forget that sometimes your best customers, right, are the ones you already have. It's shockingly simple. But man, if you're devoted to and passionate about and stoked about it, like that's what we would say at Frito-Lay, you know, you as a, mar- when I started out in my post-MBA marketing career, you represent the consumer, you, Manny, you know, assistant brand manager, you represent the consumer of like this entire product line that is hundreds of millions, if not billions of revenue. You represent the consumer. You are responsible for knowing everything about them. And that's awesome and empowering and always serves, I think, to make the business better when you are very clear and you invest quite a lot of energy, you know, be it financial and humans and that in understanding what your customer wants and data, right? Like there's, again, so much data out there. I think you can really get to some great insights. 
but always with the mind of like, it's less about getting the customer to do what you want. You want to do what the customer wants. And sometimes it's what they can't even tell you, right? Often, often. Yeah. Well, that is super wise. Thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed having you here. You're welcome. I loved being on. I look forward to talking again soon and maybe we can have a whole other bunch of categories that we can cover. I love it. Yes. Please come back. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us here at Good Revenue. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review, follow the show, or share it with a friend. We're a new show, so it really helps other listeners find us. And if you have feedback, comments, or suggestions for episodes or guests, please reach out to us. You can find our information in the show notes. This show was produced with the help of RPS Audio, experts in sound and podcast production.